Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. All right, so uh, 2022 is over. I'm grateful uh, for that. The holiday gauntlet is over. I'm also grateful for that. One of the things that I look forward to over the next couple months after the new year and spring break is uh, normally sands the, like, millimeter of snow that kept some people out, I guess. Uh, Normally this time of year, uh, quite a few of us are together in the same place. Like more of us are here, less people have stuff going on. And that's normally a pretty exciting time as our rhythms stabilize and we get to be the people of God. And it's just encouraging to have more of us together in the same place. If you've ever seen on weeks that I'm playing uh, the, the drums, I'll take my little ear monitor out sometimes because just encouraged to sing with you and hear the voices. Uh, just to hear kind of just the, the volume of my brothers and sisters declaring the truth of the gospel with me. I mean, I, I love that, and I hope that you're encouraged by that as well. And I look forward to um, spending more time with us together as uh, more of the complete body, uh, as hopefully the craziness of the holidays wears off. Uh, last week, we mentioned it already, we preached a vision sermon uh, called A People of Prayer. We try and isolate the first week or so of each year to kind of talk about where we're going, what we're hoping for, what God has laid on our hearts. So we, we did that already uh, last time talking about the hope of becoming a people of prayer, that we are kind of back to where we feel that we were led pre-2020 uh, to God calling us to renewal and revival through the vehicle of prayer. Uh, we were there before the pandemic happened and you weren't supposed to be around people and now we're back at it again. In 2022, we focused on becoming a people with a faithful biblical worldview. We spent all of our time on that, aiming to be a people who are able to use the word of God to see how do I navigate this crazy shifting culture that is all around me. We wanted to be a people who weren't tossed to and fro by every idea every wind and wave of doctrine, as Paul would put it. Instead, we wanted to be a people who are tethered to the word of God and the truth of God in a culture that seems untethered. And while that knowledge focus was extremely important, and I think it still is extremely important, we're not wanting to shift out of that, leave that behind. We're wanting to take that with us. What we wanted to understand is that equipping of our mind through knowledge and ability to use the word of God was never really the final destination or the end all be all. We don't want to be a people who have a knowledge of a God that we do not have his presence or his power. We want knowledge about him. We want his presence. We want his power at work among us. In in other words, we don't want to get really smart and knowledgeable and well-versed at the precepts of God while never connecting or growing relationally with that same God and never experiencing that God. This is why we're hoping to move into a season where we just grow in prayer, all of us, me, you, all of us, our kids. We want to develop and grow in prayer, specifically prayer surrounding when we gather here on Sunday mornings together. Do I want to get better at prayer in our MCs? Absolutely. Do I want us to get better at prayer in our private life? Absolutely. But we're really focusing on prayer here when we, when we gather together. And I don't want to recap all of last message or last week's message, but the drive of that came from the words of Jesus. The elders are in a position where we're kind of uh, struck by and taken by Jesus' words when he said, my father's house is meant to be a house of prayer. In the temple in the New Testament, you see Jesus flip over tables, chase people out with a whip, and clear out the temple of God. But surrounding that wasn't just an angry, unhinged man. There was a lament that came from him dealing with prayer. 
God's house, the house of the Lord, where the people are supposed to come together, experience the Lord, the Lord and glorify uh, the Lord, were not operating in the way that she should. The church had imported all the things from outside of it into it, and in that process, they kind of downgraded the importance uh, and the gift of prayer. So we don't, we don't want to make that mistake. We want to confess in the ways that we've done that. Lord, I don't know that we've prayed as much as we should here. I don't know we've grown in that. Will you help make us a people of prayer? We don't want this to be branded as just a systematic change, as in, well, when you look at the hierarchy of a Sunday that we're just going to devote, devote 2.8 more minutes to prayer, that, that's not really the, the hope. What we think is that there are speci- specific things that God wants to do in our body and in us as people that will not happen without prayer. Right, as in they just won't. God wants to do certain things. There's certain graces and mercies that he wants to give to us and that we want as well, and they're never gonna come to pass if we don't actually ask for them. And, and I want that to sink in because that's not really meant for hyperbole or, or effect. We can easily start treating prayer as if it is just the, the chore of making the bed in the morning. I don't know how many of you guys do that. I do not. Like treating it like it's something uh, meaningless or, or pointless or, or fruitless that we do for no reason, as if it's a road to, to nowhere that you do because you're told to, or you feel like you kind of should, but you're not, you're not actually getting anything out of it. We don't want to view prayer like that as an action that leads nowhere and, and yields nothing. If you make your bed, you're fine. You're just kind of weird, but you're fine. But we don't want to treat prayer like that. We want to pursue it, understanding that there's grace and mercy available. And there's beautiful things God wants to do through prayer if we'll dive into it. From last week, we want to hold on to the promise of Isaiah 56, which was uh, the text that Jesus quoted as he chased the, the, the money changers out and flipped over the tables. He was actually uh, quoting in the Old Testament. And the promise that we find that we want to hold on to that Jesus was communicating is if God's people will join themselves to the Lord. He is my God and I am his. If we will love the name of the Lord and, and actually serve the Lord and keep the Sabbath, hold fast to the, the covenants, the good news, the gospel, God says to them, I'll bring them to my holy mountain, which is his presence, and I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. That's a beautiful promise. God promises to meet us with his presence in our prayer when we're in his house. Like depending on your background or your familiarity with with church or anything like that, I realize that that idea may seem foreign or crazy. So you're literally telling me that you believe the presence of God will be with you if you you say some stuff to him. Yes, that's what the word says. But the idea of God's presence being with God's people, it's not meant to be wild or, or weird or or other. In the Old Testament, this is why the ark and the tabernacle were really big deals for Israel because with them was the presence of God. And some people through that could experience God's presence. You see this all over the Old Testament. When you look, God's presence was a big deal to God's people. Then when Jesus is crucified in the New Testament, in the moments uh, surrounding his death, or right when he dies, something happens. The Bible says that the curtain inside the temple, not, not some little bath curtain, this massive, huge thing from side to side, this massive curtain in the temple is ripped into from top to bottom it becomes in two pieces. And what this signifies matters, because you're going, I don't, I don't get the ripping of the curtain thing. Well, in, In the Old Testament and in the temple, the presence of God was behind the curtain. So what it's teaching us is, is in that time, only the priests could go behind the curtain. 
Only the priests could go into the presence of God at certain times, and there was considerable preparation that they needed to do to get in there because of their own sin. If an unclean person, someone who hadn't done all the ceremonial things that were required for the priests, went behind the curtain, boom, struck dead, done. Why? Because the presence of God and sin don't work together. They cannot exist together. Even though the presence of God was among the people of God in the Old Testament, most regular Israelites could not actually experience God's presence because of their problem of sin. John Piper says this, and I think it's helpful, the tearing of the curtain that separated the sinful people from the holy presence of God signifies what happened when the flesh of Jesus was torn on the cross. The tearing of Jesus' flesh secured the reconciliation between God and his sinful people. All that to say is the barrier between God and man was removed because of what Jesus did on the cross. As Jesus died, shedding blood for the sins of all who would believe in him, when our faith is placed in him, he has literally destroyed the barrier of sin between us and God. God's people could once again experience the presence of God. That's why it tells us in the New Testament the curtain is torn. It signifies the people of God oh, we can be in his presence? Not just those certain people or the, or, or, or the really holy people or, or, the, or the people with all of that stuff. You mean I can be in the presence of God? Yes, that's what it was telling us. I want to be a people who get to walk in the presence of God when we gather together. We want to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 56, the joy of the Lord and the house of the Lord. We want to receive the joy that comes from the presence of God. And I realize that that language and that pursuit seems insane to the world. I get it. And I realize that you may even think, okay, if that's our pursuit, how do I invite my neighbor or coworker to that? Hey, come enjoy the presence of God. It's totally normal. It's difficult to figure out how do I navigate that. But here's the reality. We're not interested in making the church look like the world. That's not the hope that we have. We said it last week, and if an unbeliever comes into a church and they see the exact same things that they see in the world, if there's no discernible difference, there, there's, no, there's no marking of something different that happens there, they're going to deem the church as unnecessary, going, I can get this at brunch. Like, I, I don't, why would I go there? We would rather obey Jesus, pray, devote ourselves to the word and the sacraments, it may be the Spirit of God will open the eyes of the people who come and experience the gospel at work and the presence of God, and he'll save them, and then also will experience the joy of being in the presence of the Lord that the Bible talks about. At some point, we have to look at the word and go, do I think that that's true? And what we're doing is just we're throwing all of, all of our chips in. We believe that it's true, so we're going to run after it. With all of that in place, uh, in a week to have processed the sermon from last week, the elders found it uh, appropriate. We had a, a meeting uh, this, this Monday. Um, we found it appropriate to keep the shepherding hat on uh, for another week and try and lean into uh, some, some forecasted possible questions or tension points that you might have or, or, or we might even be experiencing surrounding the idea of prayer. Again, this won't be our normal Sunday message. We normally preach exegetically, taking a, a, a section of scripture, breaking it down, asking what the Lord is trying to say to us. We'll be back in that in Hebrews really soon, but, but one more week uh, that I think, one more week in this uh, just going over some questions, and then we hope that it's fruitful and helpful. Because we don't want to just say, hey, we're, we're heading towards prayer, and, th- and then leave everyone hanging. We, we want to look at what the Word says and deal with m- maybe the struggles that we have. The first question is this. How is asking and receiving not something that creates a prosperity gospel? 
right? And we're leaning into the statement before when we said that there are things that we believe that God wants to do for us and in us and through us that he will not do if we don't pray, right? How, how is this not a prosperity gospel thing? There are countless churches who preach a prosperity message. Uh, and that message boils down to saying that God wants his people to prosper holistically. And while there's some elements of God actually wanting us to, to do well and find joy and some other things, there's some elements that are true, they would press into that God wants all of his people to prosper in their health and in their finances and in their life and in their influence and anything else. Just broadly, they state that, that faith in God leads to, and, and then you'll hear, hear kicker words like abundance and flourishing. When I hear those words, all of a sudden my radar's up going, what's happening here? And, and they press that really hard, and the teaching normally goes hand in hand with what's called word and faith theology as well. That says that if prayers aren't answered, well, it's due to a, a lack of faith by the, the prayer. So if, if your business, uh, you've been praying about it, thriving, and it's just not, well, I mean, the problem is with you. Like, you didn't ask very well. You just don't believe. So ask harder. Try again and mean it this time and pray louder and with more conviction and more, and more faith. And, and, then, and then maybe it'll, it'll come true. This is what word and faith and prosperity churches kind of teach. And I understand and fully admit I am painting with maybe a, a recklessly broad brush. Uh, but they pull this uh, from ripping a lot of the Old Testament out of, the con- out of context, but also taking James 4.2 out of context, the text that says that you do not have because you do not ask. The text says this. We'll read one through three, though, because they, they, they read a, a small portion when, if you read the whole thing, it actually says something that, that maybe changes your perspective. James 4.1 through 3, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. While a prosperity gospel will teach that you can get about anything and everything that you want from God, if you ask with just enough faith, he's just going to kind of make it happen for you. We want to state really, really clearly, we don't believe that. God is not your genie in a bottle. He's not uh, going to wait on every whim and every wish and every desire that you have, just, just wanting to make it all come true in the way that you want it to come true. And, and if we think about it, we, we know that that's probably a good idea because there's some things that we want sometimes that are horribly bad ideas. God is not waiting to do that. So while God is not waiting to just kind of give you every whim and wish and desire you have, the Bible does say that he's a good father who loves you and desires to give you good gifts if you ask of him. This is in Matthew 7. Right, there's the tension, right? Do you you feel it? God won't give you anything and everything you ask of him, but he will give you some of this stuff. And I'm not talking about a car. I'm talking about the deep things in your heart. Well, I realize some churches have done prayer and asking in, in, in a pretty unbiblical way. What we're trying to do is we don't want to overreact to them by never asking God for anything. Well, they asked wrongly, so we won't ask. We don't want to. We don't want to get prayer wrong. So we're just not going to pray. That, that, that's not a super good uh, way for us to go about things. I want us to uh, develop maturity in, in asking God for things in faith, which means I ask God about things and for things, 
And then I have enough faith in him that believes that he knows what he's doing no matter what the answer is. Ultimately, he's still good whether he says yes or, or no, and he's probably got a reason for what he is doing. The text from James 4 it's a, it's a massive one because it deals with more than just asking and receiving. It deals with the human heart and our brokenness inside. The part in verse 2 about asking and receiving, it's only one small piece of, of a, a much larger teaching on desire, what we want, what we think we need, what we think we need for peace or happiness or joy or contentment or anything like that. The author is saying, okay, why do we fight and argue with people? Why do you square up and square off with the people around you? He says, well, it's because of your desires. That's why. Why do you argue? Why do you fight? Why do you wage war? It's because of what you want. It's the desires in your heart. Well, normal people don't just walk up to someone and, and throat punch them for no reason. And we normally don't get into really big fights with someone and be like, well, the, the real reason is I don't like your face. There's something else that's going on. We fight with people when they touch or tinker with or threaten what we want. That's when we fight. This is what the author is going into. You fight people because they threaten implicitly or not what you want or think you need. All of a sudden that person is a threat and then we remove the threat by whatever means necessary. That's what the author is teaching. Petty arguments all the way up to, to murder, he says, are about our desires. The reason behind the reason are the hidden things in your heart that you think you need and you want. This means in a sinful world, humans lash out at humans over what they want. From little to huge things, we lash out about what we want. And essentially, in this process, we, we feel threatened by them or we blame them for being the reason that we're not actually getting what we want. And through that blame, we tend to wage war in the world or in our minds. This is our propensity and what we need to watch out for. This is the bigger argument that James is laying forth. Not, hey, you can get anything that you want something more. What the author was saying when he writes, you have not because you ask not. He's saying instead of lashing out at everyone around you over the things that you desire or think that you need, instead of letting your knee-jerk reaction be to let other, other people have it, we should try, like, why don't you go to God with what you desire? Why don't you pray about it and share it with, with the Father who is good? Instead of hurting other people, go to the Father. So, so you're hearing the logic? Go ask God for what you want instead of fighting everyone. Let your first step be to share with God the things that you desire. Open your heart to the Lord before you close your fist at your neighbor. And it might go a whole lot better that way. While the prosperity gospel says, go to God and he'll give you all the things that you want, we want to model James 4 and Romans 8 that teach something much different. We're teaching, go to God with the desires of your heart and hear me. Maybe he'll say yes. And if he says no, the Holy Spirit will meet you in your prayers and still shape your heart when you're praying so all is not lost. That's a part of the beauty of Romans 8. In the text, it explains clearly, we don't know how to pray. Have you ever gone in a situation like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, like, I don't have the words. Like, I, don't, I don't know how to navigate. I, I don't even know how to pray. And what Romans 8 is saying, hey, is, that's okay. The Holy Spirit meets you in your lostness in prayer at times when you pray. So the Holy Spirit will, will come beside you and, and help your prayers and your heart as you're praying. So literally the Holy Spirit will intercede for you and to you and he'll shape your prayers as they get to the Father. Like, I don't know what I'm saying, I'm just kind of praying, I don't know. The, the Holy Spirit will adjust those and shape the prayers as they get to the Father and shape your heart while you're praying even when you don't know what you're saying. 
is actually a really good promise. Have you ever been praying about something? Not like a popcorn, like rapid, like God help so-and-so, but like a, a, a deeper prayer where you're kind of like pushing in and contending a little bit and you find yourself surprised by the depth of your prayer and the substance in it. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on there? Like, I don't know about you, but there's normally like a, another dialogue in the back of my head. So have you ever kind of listened to the, to the prayer that you're, you're giving and, and you're even, as you're giving it, you're thinking, dang, that is a, that's a good prayer. Like that was deep and powerful. And that like, where did that substance come from? Where in the world did, did that come from? And, and this is not in a prideful form because there's a way to, that, that prays and think every prayer is amazing because you're holier than everyone and better than everyone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a moment that you're kind of contending in prayer and you're like, man, that just kind of feels like thick and powerful. Like what, what was that? What's happening? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the promise here. The Holy Spirit comes and meets you in your prayers, even at the times that you don't know what to say, shapes them and kind of emboldens them and strengthens them to bring them to God. This is the promise that we find. The Holy Spirit will meet you in your prayers, form your prayers, and then help form your heart when you pray, showing you that God is a good Father, loving and merciful, and Jesus has done much to you, and you have a home, and you have a place, and you have grace, and you have mercy, and even if you don't get what you want, he is still good and kind. The Spirit does that. So even if you don't get a yes, something profoundly good is happening when you pray. So we're not worried about uh, leading ourselves into a prosperity gospel at all because we're clearly going to say ahead of time, God is not your genie and he will say no about quite a few of the things that you ask him for. But Jesus promises not only will the presence of God be near when you pray, so will the spirit interceding for you, working in your heart, working in your prayers and there's a glorious reason to pray because of that. A second question, and I would say that this one... uh, all of us wrestle with, just whether we're honest about it or not, whether you're a brand new Christian, not a Christian yet, or a Christian for a long time, one of the consistent questions that we'll have is like, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Who do I write the message to? Like, how do I, where do I send it? And it's a valid question that I think everyone wrestles with, and, and I've wrestled with it quite a few times. We just need to start by acknowledging the, tr- the Trinity is like, it's a little difficult to understand. God is three distinct persons, yes. But God is one person, also yes. Uh, okay. We just admit it, it, it's difficult to understand. The way that I would say it is, even when you've been in the faith for a long time and wrestled it for a while, you'd say, I understand it, kind of-ish. Right, have you ever, there's a word that you, that you can use it, and someone's like, hey, will you give me a definition? You're like, I can't do that. I can kind of use it, but I, I can't define it. That's kind of how the Trinity goes sometimes. Like I, I kind of wrap my mind kind of about it. I can't really fully explain it. We just, just got to admit that's the way it is. But the best way I'd summarize the things are the whole Trinity is involved in prayer. Right? We pray to God the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus. We pray, they, they go to God the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus. Now, that sounds tricky, but we can break it apart a little bit, and I don't think it actually is that bad. In the Old Testament, remember what we talked about before, priests were needed to go to God. You couldn't just go into his presence. You also couldn't just pray. 
A priest needed to take your prayer to God. You couldn't just go. But when Jesus died on the cross, when the curtain is ripped in two, uh, he made a way to God and all of that changed. Jesus is our faithful high priest now. He literally takes our prayers to God the Father. This is why we pray through Jesus. He's the one that makes it possible. So in the Old Testament, you'd have to go look to a priest and other things like that. You don't have to go through a priest anymore. You go through Jesus. He takes it. He's the way. He's the the ability for you to pray. You used to not be able to have it, but now you can. I pray to God who takes it. Jesus takes it to God. So I'm praying through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Again, okay, what do you mean by the power of the Holy Spirit? Biblically, Without the Holy Spirit, we can't know Jesus. You'll, you'll see this message over and over and over. We may know cognitive facts about a historical figure named Jesus, but it's only through the Holy Spirit that your heart is softened to the need for Christ and the ability to see him as a savior. So it's the Spirit who enables Jesus to be the savior that takes your prayer. Essentially, without the Holy Spirit you wouldn't even know that you need Jesus or need to pray to God. It's the Spirit's work that opens your eyes to the beauty of Jesus and makes the whole thing possible. I pray to God, Jesus takes it. Without the Holy Spirit opening my eyes, I wouldn't be doing any of this. Pray to God the Father. Through the Holy, or by the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. And while mechanically that still may f- seem a little bit clunky or, or, or difficult, here's one of the encouraging things that I would tell you. You send it to the wrong person, you're still fine. It's not sinful to go like, I, I don't know. If you're, if you're in the position like, I don't know who to send it to, just say, God, it's fine. Like it, it, it literally is okay. You can send them to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit and not have to worry. We get mercy and we get grace. It, it's okay. One of the things that I try and think of is when I'm praying for a specific thing, though mechanically, we pray to God, the Father, by the work of the Spirit through Jesus, our God is also a relational God. Uh, not, not a force, uh, not, not anything like that. So, so I do want to try and make my prayers personal at times. So if there's a time where, I, where I'm praying um, over forgiveness, help me forgive, what I normally try and do is who's experienced this, who kind of handles this, or, or, or who's a professional at this in, in the Bible, okay? Whose job is this? So if I'm trying to forgive someone, I may pray, Jesus, help me. Why? Hey, you know what it's like to have, to, to have people that you need to forgive, to have people who've done you wrong and you need to absorb it and you need to learn to turn the other, the other cheek and forgive and love your enemies. You've done that and you've done that well and I am really struggling to do that. Jesus, help give me your heart in this. Help teach me to forgive because I, I, don't, I don't want to. You've forgiven me when, when I don't deserve it. Help me understand how to forgive them. Will, will you help me? I, I've seen Jesus do this. I'll kind of go to him. If I feel lost and don't know how to handle a situation over my head, what in the world do I do? The, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit as a counselor a helper, a, a teacher. So, so what's maybe a good, a good play there? Holy Spirit, help me. Give me wisdom. I don't know what to do here. I'm in over my head. I don't, I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. I need your insight. Will, will you help give me the, the, the Father's heart in this? Will you help show me Jesus even in this? Will you give me the words to say? Because I, I don't really have the words to say here. The, the Holy Spirit does that. So I, I think that's okay as well. Ultimately, what I want to see is if we're going to the throne of grace, don't worry if you don't know who to send the prayer to. Just, just send it. But there is some help in just going, hey, systematically, how does this work? And maybe I'll try at different times to pray to different parts of the Trinity. And if you're just like, man, I don't, I don't even know the parts. Don't worry about it. Just pray to God. And he'll fix it and he'll deal with it and it's okay. And I just freely admit, yeah, it's confusing. 
and it probably will be on the side of eternity to some level, and that's okay. The third and last question, I was going to say the third of 20 to see if you freaked out. The, the third question is, why does a sovereign, all-knowing God require that we pray? This is the one that, at some level, for most of us, kind of rings a little bit true. Okay. If he knows it all, if he's that smart and he gets it all and he knows what we need, why, why does he want me to ask? Like I, I, like, I don't get it. He knows what I need. Why do I have to, to ask for what I need in order to fulfill what I need? Because he's smart enough to see it all and he already knows it. Isaiah 30, 18 through 39 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. That line's probably not helpful if that's your struggle, right? And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those uh, who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. You hear that promise? Surely he will be gracious. As soon as you ask, that's the cry. As soon as you ask, he'll hear it and he'll answer you. That that text still, again, it may not be helpful if you wrestle with it because it teaches us two things that, that feel incompatible. God is gracious and loves to show mercy, yes. But God waits to show that mercy that he loves to show, yes. Okay, how can a God love to show mercy and at the same time withhold it until we pray? Why require, and here's the word, the inefficient mode of prayer to receive what you truly need? It seems so clunky and inefficient. Like we should have better ways to do this, like more technology. Why doesn't God just do it regarding the things that we need to speed up the whole process? And this kind of points out a, a critical flaw in our faith that messes with us all. We are obsessed with efficiency and immediacy and God is not. We want things fast, quick, path of least resistance, but we need to see efficiency is not a particularly relational concept. Efficiency is a transactional concept. If you're married, do you talk to your spouse only for efficiency? And if you do, how's that going? What about your children? Can you love your, their hearts and just try and deal with them as fast as you can? Because if you do, they're probably thinking that mommy and dad, they, they love me, but they just really want me out of their face. What about your friends? What about your church family? You deal with everyone for efficiency, just, just, just get it done, quick. The obsession with efficiency just wants all transactions to go by fast. And quickly and efficiently don't ever build a relationship. Have you ever built a relationship on, on, on critical, quick speech only? So we get so distracted by the stuff in the world, and as James put it, our desires, which we fight over, that we forget that the God of the universe wants to know and be known by us. We've gotten so far off that we've lost our wonder, God wants to know me? Yeah. And what the text says is that God takes a particular joy and honor in being a good father who steps in and, and is the one that meets your needs. Think about what that means. God loves to be the one who steps in and meets the need that you have. You may think, well, that sounds controlling and unnecessary. 
Why would he do that? A God that wants to show you mercy and meet you in your needs. But just say, how's that bad news? A good father, an all-powerful father who wants to know you. Let's be honest, big and powerful people, like, do they give, you, they give you time all the time? God wants to know you and meet your needs. If something in your heart doesn't like the necessity of going to God in prayer, what it probably uncovers is deep down you think God is a nuisance. You think he's in the way probably of what? Your desires. Somehow you've started believing that God um, isn't good and doesn't actually love you and want the best for you. And you've started to believe maybe even deeper that speaking to him is a burden. If that's where you are right now, man, and I... Don't be mad that I've pointed it out because here's the reality. We all get there at times. Instead, go to the Lord in prayer over that specific need. Pray, God, something's in my, my heart is off. I see you wrongly. Like, you, you kind of know this because I'm like trying to talk to you at all. Like, it, it feels hard and difficult and it actually feels like, like a pain and a, and a burden. I'm not seeing you for who you are and what you want. I, I'm not seeing you as good. Will you give me a new heart that, that, that doesn't look at things the way that I do? Will you help give me a new perspective? I, I don't know what's going on. Will you fix what's broken? Help me find joy in speaking to you. Let me see it as good. For those who still may be bothered by the perceived inefficiency of prayer, let me ask you this question. If God met all of your needs without you asking, what would the implications of that be in your life and in your heart? You just automatically. There's no ask there's no nothing, it just happens. And you may think, well, the implications are my life would be great, okay? But do you think it would cause you to love God more or less? Just automatic, no asking, no happening, no, no, no time, no nothing. Do you think it would cause you to know him more or less? Worship him more or less? Would you be more grateful or less? Would you trust him more or, or less? Here's what I know about my heart. If that were how it went for me, I would slowly start believing that I don't need God at all because I take care of all of my needs. I would not be more grateful. I would not be more loving. I would not be more thankful. I would probably move much further away from him out of pride and senses of self-sufficiency. I got this, which would ultimately be a terrible thing for my heart. As I was thinking about this, Why, why now, differently from before? Uh, all right, so honest talk. We pray before meals only around other Christians, right? Most of us. You're like, yeah, maybe, kind of, right. Why? I got a job. I worked hard for that job. I cashed my checks, and I went to hy V and I got food. So I'm not really praying for it because I'm not thankful for it because I, I, I earned it. I did it. There's, there's things that happen slowly in our heart that if things become automatic and we don't ever see like God is good and gracious and merciful and has given us the things in our hands, we, we just slowly start to feel less grateful. And, and that's not like a condemnation, like our family isn't good at that either, but we want to get to where we're grateful for the things that God has given, not just like, nah, I would have got that on my own. What we want to remind ourselves is that prayer isn't just a way to get mercy though. It isn't just a way to receive grace or help or things that you think that you need. It's also a formative thing that shapes your heart and draws your heart towards God. 
Prayer is the vehicle that sharpens your faith and strengthens it. And it's the mechanism that will uh, deepen your relationship with God, the Father. And that's what, that's what we want. That's what we're aiming at. Those are the things that we want. We want to be uh, people who are, have a faith that's grounded in the word of God, in an untethered culture. And we want to be a people who have a faith that's strong and sharp with the joy of the Lord and deep relationship. That, that's what we want. If we would say, hey, hey, where would this go next? There's only one place that this goes after all of this, and that's more mission, but we'll, we'll get there later. This is what mature believers are meant to walk in. I'm anchored by the word of God, and there's a depth of my faith and a joy in the steadfastness of the presence of God. That's what I walk in. And Jesus died and bled to make that possible. Like, we can't say it enough. He didn't just die so you wouldn't go to hell. There are implications and things that he gives you now and blessings and beauty now that you walk in as you mature. I, I mentioned it with my MC this week. If I just kind of track my, my journey of faith, whatever you want to call it, it'd be nice, right, if, if everything was just uh, up and to the, to the right, Right? Everything's better and deeper and more wonderful and I'm smarter and don't make the mistakes, but that's not what mine looks like. It, it does this. That's what my faith does. But one of the things that, that I've tracked or, or just kind of thought of this week is if you track any time when my faith feels like it's kind of on a mountaintop or good or strong where I feel the presence of God and God leading and direction, and just, man, the love and mercy of God are just more real and maybe I'm more patient with my kids. Like All of these things just feel like your, your faith is just like it, it's doing good. That's always been something that's gone hand in hand with a time that I've been praying more. I've never had a time where my faith is just like, man, it's good and deep. Did you pray? Not at all then. You won't find that. And I would highly doubt that you've had that as well. Why? Because prayer builds our faith. It grows our faith. It grows our belief in God being good and a father and merciful and kind. It shapes our heart and we see the beauty of God's actually working. And I actually saw him do this thing like, gratitude grows and depth grows, prayer is the vehicle. I'm going to end with the question that I presented last week, just fully acknowledging, I know that this isn't a sermon like before, but to shepherd and do vision the way that we want to right now, uh, we still think it as a, a worthy cause. The question that I want to ask that we asked last week as well, I wanted to give you some time to maybe have processed it, or maybe you're going, hey, I wasn't here last week. Well, you're getting the same question as they did. What do you want from God? What do you desire? What do you think you need? What do you feel that you need? What's the, what's the longing deep in your heart? They're like, man, I, I, just, I need this to get to remedied or, or taken care of, not as God as your genie, but what does the depth of your heart need? Do you help with a, an area of struggle in, in your life, just something you can't get over? Is that what it is? Do you need wisdom in a situation? You're like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Do you need peace from the floods of anxiety that just, seem to be coming lately and they, and they won't let you go, right? right? As we've talked more and more, many of us, like when the time change and the dark happens, we normally kind of associate to that. And then all of a sudden you're like, but this is drug on longer and I just can't get out from underneath this anxiety. Do you need help with that? Is your heart just kind of dark and gloomy and like nothing is joyful and good? And you're like, God, I need help with that. Do you need patience with your kids or someone else? Do you need help forgiving someone that you really, really, really want to hate right now? I'm not sure what's going on in your heart or head, but what I hope for today is, is whatever is kind of there, that you would take that thing to the, to the Lord. 
in just 100% clarity. I'm not telling you he'll fix it today, but he may. And even if he doesn't, the Holy Spirit will meet you there in your prayer. Work in your heart as you bear your heart before the Lord. There's a beauty in even sharing the deep things in our heart that we assume that he already knows. There's a beauty that happens when we begin to ask, you're a good father. This is what I think I need. This is kind of why I think I need it. Will you you help me? And and maybe you're to the point where you're like, man, I don't don't know what I need. Like, I'm just trying to kind of get through the day. Share that with the Lord. Man, I'm not even sure what I need from you right now because my mind is a million miles away. Will Will you help me see myself clearly? You help me see my need. And so what we're going to ask is that you would spend some time praying about that. We've blocked off some time in music uh, today for that. So here's the thing that the elders are talking about. For a long time, we've talked about we, we want to pray and prayer is available and, and all of that. It, it's great to say it's available. But if we actually want to get there, we're going to have to actually program time. And that, that probably feels weird. We have to make actual time where, where what did you try and do at that period of time? Just prayer. Like prayer and music? No, 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 just prayer. Like prayer and preaching? No, no, just prayer. So what we'll do is Clayton's going to come up in a, in a minute and he's going to play a song. We're going to stand up and we're going to worship with him. And there's going to be a, a break where he just kind of plays acoustically behind. And all we're going to do is give you time to pray over your desires and what you need and go to the Lord in prayer. And I'll fully admit, hey, we haven't done this. Some of you are like, that feels like it could be weird. Yeah, it might be. But the only way we get to being a people of prayer is if we actually pray. So we're going to spend some time doing in that. And what I want to encourage you with is just the idea of what if 2023 felt like the year that we knew God more than we ever did before? Uh, what if we saw him work in ways that we didn't think possible? What if we saw him do things in our life and our heart that we wouldn't trade the world for? Like I, I had no idea. And I'm so grateful he would. The, the vehicle there is prayer his presence and power and his goodness and his mercy come through prayer. So Clayton, I'm gonna ask you to, to come back up. So the rhythm, uh, again, will be, we're gonna sing together a song. There's gonna be some moments that are just set aside to pray and just person to per- person, he, he, here's the reality that I tell you. You have a choice then to pray or not to. Uh, and the best, the best way that I can love you is just give you a moment because here's the thing that's hard for me. There's a lot of me that wants to pray and I just have a difficulty making time for it. So the best way I can love us is just saying, I made the time for you. And so you'll be able to kind of enter into pray or you can decide like, hey, I ain't doing that. The choice is, is yours there. And then we're gonna sing some more and then the table will be open for communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, for it says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in the remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the reality still stands. We're trying to make room for prayer, but the only way that we're reconciled to God, that we're even able to take prayers to God is through the work of Jesus. So we want to, in the, in the last part, you can come up. If your faith is in Jesus for your Savior, you can come and take, and you take the bread, you dip it in, and you say, your body and your blood for me. Your body was broken, your blood was shed. The only way that I am clean is you. I put all of my faith in that. Help me see the beauty of what you've done. And that's the leaning into Jesus as your savior. We'd ask that you'd spend some time in prayer. 
and then spend some time reminding yourself of the beauty of Jesus at the table. You go, man, I am incomplete and I messed up a million things and you still died for me and you still love me. That's the hope for today.